you for that. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. As you're turning there, we do have baptism after the service this morning, and we're looking forward to that as well. And uh, I want to preach on the wayward son. Luke chapter number 15, and you'll find no greater teacher than Jesus Christ himself. And by the way, he died for you, praise the Lord, uh, that he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary so that we could be born again. And really, we were, we, we, without Jesus Christ, we are 100% hopeless and helpless. And so thank God for Jesus Christ coming to this world and shedding his uh, precious blood on the cross of Calvary. And he did that because he loves us and he cares about us. And he wants us to be born again. And so uh, what, a, what a great message and song. Somebody died for me. Uh, but as we turn here in Luke 15, turn our attention to Jesus and that the, the message, one of the many messages that he gave, uh, Jesus is an expert teacher. You will find no better teacher than Jesus Christ himself. And he taught with example in the way he lived his life. You've heard the expression, uh, or perhaps you've heard the expression, that more is caught than is taught. And if you caught anything from Jesus' life, you caught a perfect example. Uh, because he is the sinless, perfect Son of God. And, uh, and he also taught in object lessons. I'm amazed as I study the life of Jesus Christ and, and you look at how he dealt with his disciples on a regular basis and just the things that he did many times served as object lessons to his disciples. Even the storm in the midst of the sea and as he uh, crossed the sea and the feeding of the 5,000 with uh, uh, loaves of bread, there were many things that were accomplished and one of those things were lessons that he constantly taught to his disciples. So he taught by example. He taught by object lessons. And this morning we're going to look at another way he taught, and that is through parables. And Jesus is a master uh, parable uh, teacher in that, what is a parable? A parable is simply defined as this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, God takes something that we can understand, that we can relate with, and he drives home some very spiritual spiritual truths that we can go grab hold of. And, uh, and so that is uh, what we want to look at this morning. Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 11. We'll start here. And, uh, and I, I plan on pe preaching, Lord willing, out of this passage for uh, probably a couple weeks. Uh, we will not by any stretch of the imagination cover all of this in one message. We could, but we'd probably be here till 3 o'clock. And I, I didn't think uh, your dinner and lunch plans would go well with that. So I decided we'll just kind of split it up over a couple weeks. All right. Uh, Luke chapter number 15, verse number 11. The Bible says this. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. 
And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for, uh, for your many blessings in our life. God, we thank you for uh, the many, many, many soldiers that have fallen, Father, and, and given us the liberty and the freedom that we enjoy in our country today. God, I pray that you would use me as I preach this morning. Father, on the wayward son, I pray, Father, that you would speak to hearts. And God, I pray that we would, uh, we would be very much so aware of the problems of waywardness. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that if there's anyone that does not know you as their personal Savior this morning, Father, that they would, uh, that they would uh, trust you as their personal Savior this morning. God, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to their heart and impress in their heart the need for a Savior. Father, we'll thank you for that. God will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at just the first half of this parable that Jesus taught, there is a great amount of truth and a great amount of, uh, of, of things, lessons, that we can learn from this, uh, this parable that Jesus gave. By the way, this is just really one of three parables that he gave in succession there in Luke chapter 15. He talked about the lost coin, he talked about the lost sheep, and then he talks about the lost son uh, here in, 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 in verse number 11 that we're going to look at. At. And, uh, and I've entitled it The Wayward Son. And, uh, and I want you to notice first and foremost as we look at this passage in verse number 12, uh, the Bible says there that the younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And I want you to notice first and foremost the demand of the younger son. The demand of the son. And, uh, and I want you to notice this, that it was a very selfish demand. If you think about this, really everything that boils down in the world uh, to the problems, they generally come about through selfishness. Me first. I'm more important, uh, you know, oftentimes when I'm driving and, and I've had people pass me or, you know, they're kind of pushing you down the road and, and, uh, and I've even had them pull out past me on where they're not allowed to pass and I'm like, you know what, go ahead, buddy, you're more important than I am, you got more important business than the rest of the world, you just, you know, none of the laws, I, I kind of speak sarcastically, but it's to myself in my car. I'm like, have a nice day. 
And I just kind of let him go. And sometimes, you know, I can be that impatient person. I'm not passing illegally, okay? I don't do that. Uh, that's dangerous. Don't do that. But, but sometimes we, we can be like that. And we're pushing people down the road. And, and why? Because we think, man, I got to get here and I got to do that. And are, are we really that important? And our selfishness sometimes gets the best of us. Listen, that's... That's a root of all humanity, to be honest with you. There's not, a ch there's not a person that is born in the world that does not have some form of selfishness in them. I've given the illustration many times, and, and uh, if, you have, uh, if you've ever been in nursery or uh, maybe younger children, and, and man, you want to see selfishness, just give one kid a prize. Give them a sucker, give them a balloon, give them a sticker. Boy, and all the selfishness of all the other children comes out. Why didn't I get one? He got one. I didn't get one. And I deserve one. And, and all of that will come out because at the root of everything, we tend to be selfish. And this man, uh, this younger son rather, was selfish. Look at what his demand was. He said, Father, give me. You can underline those two words the portion of goods that falleth to me. He was very demanding of his father. I could not uh, imagine going to my father and demanding, number one, anything at all. I mean, my dad was military, buddy. You didn't just walk in and say, Dad, give me this. I'll give you something, buddy. But it ain't going to be what you're asking for. I'll tell you that. And, uh, and I appreciate that. I'll be honest with you. I'm grateful for my dad being, uh, being strict with us, raising us. But I tell you what, I, I couldn't imagine going to my father and saying, hey, you give me this. Listen, uh, understand this. We're all, we're all somebody's child in here. And, and listen, your parents paid to raise you and take care of you and, 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 uh, and did the best they could. Or maybe your grandparents did. And I'm telling you this right now, that they don't owe you anything in this life. And this child came and said, give me. Boy, I'll give you a smack right upside the head. That's what, that's what this kid deserved. I don't care how old he was. And uh, man, I, I tell you what, that, that's unbelievable to me. But that's the selfish day and age we live in. If you think about it, the world by and large today is, it's all about me and look at me and I want what I want and, and the pay attention to me and you give me something. And, and we live in a very self-centered, arrogant society that is all about you. And listen, uh, selfishness will destroy your life. It didn't, uh, he didn't think of his father. He didn't think of the feelings of his father. When he went to his father and said, hey, give me mine inheritance. I couldn't even imagine going to my parents and asking for an inheritance or taking money from them while they're living because, bless God, they're still living. I mean, you know, I mean, if they die and leave me something, great. But, but in all reality, uh, I'm grateful that my parents raised me. And listen, this young man, he went to his father and he was not thinking of his father. He was thinking of himself and selfishness will destroy personal relationships. That's the bottom line. You look at marriage after marriage that has fallen apart nine times out of ten, probably 9.9 .9 times out of ten, it boils down to selfishness. You didn't give me what I want. You didn't do what I want. You didn't do this or that. And somebody is unhappy because they did not get what they wanted. 
And we're all there at times in our life. And I'm just saying there is selfishness. It destroyed the personal relationship with his father. How could you go back and talk to your father after you came to him and demanded the inheritance uh, that you would have received after he passed away and said, hey, I want it now. Boy, I bet there was a, a sharp division in that relationship afterwards. It was destroyed by selfishness. Listen, he didn't think of his family. And listen, selfishness will drive families apart. You notice later on in this text, if you uh, go back and read it, boy, the brother was very upset even after the son came home. And I think part of that was, hey, listen, the selfishness of the younger son going to his father, and maybe he never forgave him of that, but I'm just saying that it destroys family relationships. He did not think of the family when he went and demanded of his father the inheritance. Not only that, but look at, think about this as well. Think about the farmhands that worked there. Hey, listen, selfishness in a work environment will destroy that work environment. You've seen the work environments. You know of the work environments. You've been there. You've witnessed it uh, where, where one guy steps on top of another guy and steps on top of another guy to climb his way to the top. And unfortunately, when he's working his way back down, they've all, they've all been there and been stepped on, so they're all pulling away, and he's falling down pretty fast. You know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying that selfishness will destroy a society, a family, a job, a relationship. Selfishness will destroy everything that is about. Uh, because selfishness isolates you on an island where no one else matters and you are the only one that's there. And you find it pretty lonely on that island. That's selfishness. The demand of this son shows that he was a very selfish young man and, and he was not considering anybody else. He was not considering his family. He was not considering the farmhands that worked there. He was not considering his father. He was only considering himself. Turn with me, save your spot here in Luke as we'll be back here. But notice in the book of James, chapter number 1, and I'd like you to see this as we not only see the, the selfish demand, but I want you to know this too, that his demand was based upon his own selfish temptations. The Bible says here in the book of James, chapter number 1 and verse number 13, James chapter 1 and verse number 13, the Bible says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Look at verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This young man was tempted uh, to be drawn away of his own lust. Look with me back in our text. You can save your spot there in James 3, uh, 1. But look with me back in our text in verse number 13. The Bible says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. 
Listen, why did he take his journey? Because he was taken away with that lust. Listen, the things that appealed in the world to him were far more important than his, than his father, than his family, and then those that were around him on that farm that were working. Uh, that, that temptation drew him away, and he said, man, I want what's out there in the world. Listen, we, you've witnessed it. I've witnessed it. I'm telling you what, I, I, Brother Tim uh, knows young people that I know young people that when we were young people and when we were in church, hey, they were in church and today, where are they? They're gone. You say, what happened? They were drawn away of their own lusts. They followed what they wanted. Oh, oh, the old phrase that's so touted out there all the time, follow your heart. Don't do that. That lands you far away from God because the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says. Hey, don't follow your heart. Follow the word of God. And I'm just telling you that this young man was drawn away, but he was not drawn away. Oh, it's the world. Oh, it's this. No, it's his own heart that was wicked. It was his own life. It was his own choices that he made in his life to draw himself away from his father, away from his family, and away from everything else. He saw that. The Bible says here in verse number 13, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey. Why did he leave? Listen, it's not a sin to leave by any stretch of the imagination. I spent most of my life, my dad was in the military. We moved every two, three, four years. And, and, and I know what it's like to live away from family. And it's not sin to move away from family. That was not the sin. But the motive behind why he moved, that was the sin. How could he go back to his father after he demanded his inheritance? How could he go back to his family after, after, after he had, had extorted for all practical purposes the money from his father and said, man, I'm out of here. And, and, and he took his journey. Why? Because he did not want to be under the oppressive yoke of bondage of his father. That's in air quotes. That's what his mentality was. And I can't stand my dad telling me over me, uh, standing over me, telling me what to do. I can't stand the authority any longer. And I don't want to live like this. And I don't want to do these things. And I don't want to go down this path any longer. Hey, I want to call the shots in my own life. And I want to do what I want to do, was his mentality. So he took a, a far journey. Why? To get away from that. He left to get out from under that authority. He left. He took his journey, the Bible says. The Bible says he wasted his substance. His, his father probably taught him about responsibility and, and being prepared. His father seemed like a well-off man. After all, he had uh, farmhands that worked for him, and, and he was careful about making sure that everything was taken care of and that everyone was paid and that all the bills were covered. And, and this young man said, man, I want to get out on my own. I, I don't understand why we can't do this and why we can't uh, have this and why do we got all these rules and regulations over us anyways? And, and he, he wanted to get away from that, and so he he got out into the world where he could call his own shots and he did that and the Bible says that he wasted his substance. He was not wise in setting stuff aside. He, he had this idea that hey, I can do better than, than my father has done and, and I want to be able to enjoy a little bit of life. So he ran off on his own. He, he took his journey 
He wasted his substance, but then he, this, the Bible says, with riotous living. He wanted to live it up and enjoy the pleasures of the world that his father hath withheld from him. At least that's what he thought. So he thought, I'm, I'm running and I'm gone. Man, I, I, if that doesn't sum up a crowd that is leaving independent Baptist churches today, then I, I don't know what does. Because there's a great amount of people that say, man, I want out. I want out from away from the rules. I want out away from the authority. I want out. And listen, they're, they're not running from me and you. They're running from God. They're not interested in God being the authority over their life. They want to call their own shots. They want to do what they want to do. They want to live the way that they want to live, just like this young man. And we see that the demand of the son, it was a selfish demand, and it was based on temptation. The Bible says there in the book of James that he was drawn away of his own lust. And it turned into sin. Go with me to, back to Luke. We're, we're there in verse number 15, or chapter number 15, excuse me, verse number 13. And the Bible says this, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Not only do we see the demand of the son was a selfish demand, it was a temptation-driven demand, but I want you to see in these next few verses the demand of sin on the life of a wayward son. We'll probably spend the bulk of the time here, but there are so many lessons that you can pull out of this that are so important for us to grasp and us to understand because the world and the devil advertises sin as though it is fully enjoyable and life is great and nothing is wrong with it, but nothing could be farther from the truth. This young man, perhaps he saw the billboards that said, hey, uh, come to this party and drink or enjoy this. Maybe he saw those commercials. Maybe he saw all of that advertisement and was drawn away of his own desires. I don't really know what it was, but I do know this, that he left, and the Bible defines it as riotous living. The Bible does not give us specifics about what he did, but I'll tell you this, that you can plug any sin into this passage and find that the effects of it are the same, whether it's alcoholism or drunkenness, uh, whether it's perversity or pornography or, or fornication or anything that goes with that whole package, or maybe it's drugs, or maybe it's living for money and living for uh, the, the wealth of this world, or maybe it's living for pleasure in this world. Whatever it is, you can plug it in and find that, hey, the end result it's going to about come out the same. Because sin is deceptive at its very root. And look at here as we look through this passage. I want you to know this. We don't have to name individual sins. We just know that sin, whatever that sin is, whether it's the lust of the, uh, the eye or the lust of the flesh or the pride of the life, it's going to end in the same result. And notice this in verse number 13, that he went to a far country. And first and foremost, you need to understand this, that sin drives you away from those who love you. It just does. 
There are people who care about you. There are, there are people, hey, listen, maybe your home is broken up and maybe things are not right there, but can I tell you this this morning? There are people in this church who love you and care about you. And sin will drive you from us. Sin will drive you from that. In this case, this guy had a good home. He had a father that cared about him. And you know what? Sin drove him from his father's house. And his father cared about him. His father was concerned about him. We know that throughout the story. But I'm just saying that sin will drive you away from uh, the people who care about you. Sin drives a wedge between people. You need to be careful because it will drive you away from those who love you you the most. Not only that, but I want you to know that sin drives you away from God. And He loves you above all things. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, neither is His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear you. And what I'm saying is, listen, uh, sin will drive you away from the people that love you, from God that loves you and cares about you, and that sin will, will cause you to be distant from God. This man took a, a far journey. It was far, not because of the distance, but because the way he left. And he wanted to be distanced from his family. Sin, look in verse number 14, Sin will take all that you have. In verse number 14, And when he had spent all, there was nothing left. Listen, there's a high cost to sin. The Bible's very clear about that. And listen, the, the sin promises you everything and, and it only gives you short-term pleasure and for many times at the cost of a lifetime of regret. And I'm just telling you that sin will, will cost you far more than you want to pay. And you'll think, well, I've got enough. And he had, probably had a great sum of money. And, and he probably said, man, I can live for a long time on this. And he found out real quick that living in sin cost him everything very quickly. And he lost it all, the Bible says. He spent all. There was nothing left. Sin will drain your bank accounts. Oh, not physically, but spiritually will leave you bankrupt and destitute and without joy. Sin takes everything that you have. Notice this, because the Bible says in, there in verse number 14, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Listen, sin leaves you ill-prepared for when hard times come, and you can mark it down that hard times will come. They come in everyone's life. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The difference is the just have a bank account, a spiritual bank account to draw from, and they can hold on to God's hand, and they can trust Him, and they can know, hey, we're going to go through this storm, and we'll get to the other side. It'll be okay. But those who have, have divided themselves from God, distanced themselves from God, boy, they, have, uh, they, they can't bring themselves to go back to God. After all, they took everything, and they left, and they said, I don't want to thing to do with him. And they find it very difficult to call on him. And when those hard times come, boy, they're going to come and they're going to be in want, as the Bible describes this young man. And says, 
a famine came and there was nothing left. He was ill-prepared for the day of hardship. Sin leaves you empty. Look at verse number 14. We read that and he began to be in want. We find that sin will absolutely leave you empty. Verse 15 and 16, sin becomes a master in your life. Look at what it says. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Upon first reading, you might think, well, that guy, he became a citizen of another country. That's not what the Bible says. He joined himself to a citizen. Let me read it there. Of that country. He, he became what the Bible would call a bond servant. I have no money. I have no place to live. I will work for you if you just give me a place to live. He was not working to earn money. He was a bond servant. He was strictly working so that he could have a place to pillow his head and not sleep in the streets. He was homeless. He was destitute. Sin had left him absolutely bankrupt. Sin had left him uh, absolutely empty. And he, he became basically a bond servant to a person in another country. And I'm reminded of this verse. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other the Bible says ye cannot serve God and mammon and that word mammon means wealth it means riches and it means all of those things and the Bible's just very clear hey we have to be very singular in who we are serving this man because of the sin and because of his rebellious attitude and because of his distancing and and walking away from his father and the selfishness in his life it left him destitute it left him bankrupt it left him uh, absolutely empty to the point that he had to choose another master in his life and listen sin will bring you to that point where it will enslave you and it will I'm not talking about losing your salvation but I am talking about the fact that hey listen sin all sin is addictive. It will draw you in. It's not just alcohol that's addictive. It's not just drugs that's addictive. It's not just a pornography or, or any of those things. All sin is addictive. And, and it will draw you in. Uh, an illustration I, I saw in junior church, it probably should have brought me a thread. An illustration I saw in junior church years ago, many, many years ago, Guy took a, a thread, he asked the strongest person in the room to come up there. This big old guy, and he was big and he was strong. And he said, You think I can tie you up with this thread? The guy laughed, You can't tie me up with that thread. He said, All right, put your hands together. And he wrapped it around one time and he tied it. He said, Can you break it? The guy was like, Psh, No problem. He said, Okay, all right, all right, let's try it again. Wraps it twice around. Can you break it? Psh, broke it too. No problem. Took that thread and he wound it next time several times, five, ten times around. He started to struggle to break it, but he broke it. He took that, that thread, just thread, ordinary thread, I don't know, wrapped it around maybe 20 times. Kid couldn't break it. He was bound. Listen, you might say, hey, I've got, 
I've got a hold of it. Man, I can get away from it. No, sin is addictive. And the devil's just wrap, wrapping those little tiny threads that you say, oh, that's, not, that's nothing. I could break that. And he's wrapping it around and around and around and around and around until you say, I am stuck in this wheelhouse of sin. And you become a servant to that sin. The Bible says that he joined himself to a citizen. He sold himself as a bond servant. Notice this in verse number 16. The end of verse number 15. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. You know one of the worst jobs for a Jewish person is that of tending to pigs, hogs. It's despicable. Because to the Jews, the hogs were unclean animals. They could not eat their meat. They basically are a worthless animal to a Jewish person. They don't, they don't eat bacon. They don't eat ham. They don't eat any part. They don't eat pork. They don't eat anything that comes from a pig because it's rendered by God an unclean animal. And so tending to swine is about the lowest of the lowest jobs that you could get. And here this man finds himself in a most despicable position because of his sin. It had become a master of him. Notice this in verse number 16. It says, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Again, he was absolutely empty. Had nothing and he even wanted to eat the hog's food. And the Bible says that nobody gave to him. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, And when he came to himself. Stop right here and think with me. Understand this, that sin clouds your judgment and your reasoning and the way you think. Sometimes people, I don't understand them. And I'm like, they, they think that the things that they are doing are just fine and there's nothing wrong with it. And to me, I'm like, that is as foreign to me as Chinese. And I don't speak a, I don't speak a lick of Chinese. Why is that? Because their thoughts are clouded by sin. Their reasoning has been messed up. You know what the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 28? Those people that are walking away from God, those people who get away from God. The Bible says this, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. In other words, their mind and their thought process had been so clouded by sin that, that they didn't find anything wrong with the things that they were doing. This man was so lost in his sin. He was so wayward that his thought processes were messed up. We find that sin clouds your judgment. Listen, in verse number 19, he says, And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. I want you to notice this about sin. Sin ruins your self-worth. And says, I am worthless. My dad doesn't even want to see me. <laughs> Nothing could have been farther from the truth. It was the lie of the devil. That he had been fed and swallowed. I've heard it 
on more than one occasion. People are like, oh, I couldn't go back to that church. Those people know what I've done. Sin will destroy your self-worth. And you'll think, I'm, I'm, I can't even go back to church. I can't do anything. Listen, sin will destroy your life. In contrast to all of that, I want you to know that there is a demand for the Savior. We see the demand of the Son. It was selfish. It was led by temptation. We see the demand of sin and how it destroys and, and degradates somebody's life and completely destroys them. But I want you to notice the demand for a Savior. And, and, and I, we're, well, it's not in the text, but it's all throughout the Scripture. And I want you to see these. I'll just give them to you very briefly. A Savior draws you closer to God. Praise the Lord for that. Remember that sin drives you away from those that you love. But a Savior, Jesus Christ, draws you closer to God. The Bible says, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He wants you to draw closer to Him. That's why Jesus Christ came. A Savior gives. Hey, remember that sin takes away. It says, oh, it's beautiful, but in the end, it takes everything out of you and leaves you empty and leaves you destitute, but a Savior is going to give to you. The Bible says uh, that, hey, Jesus Christ gives us new life. Praise the Lord for that. He, he says uh, that, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Hey, our Savior is in the giving business. Sin is in the taking business. And it wants to deprive you of everything that's good. But Jesus Christ wants to bless you and give you life and give you a new home in heaven and give you something in your life. I'm telling you, God's a, a, a great Savior. And, and we need a Savior. He gives us eternal life, John 3, 16. He gives us a home in heaven, John 14. He says, uh, I will go, but I will come again to receive you unto myself. And he talks about having many mansions. He's going to prepare a place for us. Not only that, but listen, our Savior loads you with blessings every day. Sin is going to take what you have and it's going to waste it and destroy it. But a Savior is going to give you, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Hey, I'm just telling you that God wants to give, sin wants to take, sin wants to destroy and cast down, but our God wants to save you. Listen, sin, uh, our Savior rather, causes you to think correctly removes all those clouds. Sin will fog your brain, but uh, Jesus Christ will clarify it. The Bible says in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That is a compassion for others. That is a love for other people. That is a desire to help other people. Sin will destroy you, but the Savior wants to save you. And then sin, the Savior makes you worth something in Christ. Sin will destroy you, but the Savior wants to make you, adopt you as a child of the King. Amen. Royalty in Jesus Christ. He wants to give you an inheritance. Sin promises you everything, but it leaves you empty, dry, and destroyed. Jesus, He's different. And a Savior, He wants to change your life. Make your life far better. Listen, there's a demand for a Savior because 
Without him, we'd be lost, destitute, undone, with no hope and no help in this world. And no, we'd be all destitute, bankrupt, lost sinners without Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful that there is a Savior that wants to give us something totally the exact opposite of what sin does for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we stand to our feet... The demand of the son was selfish, driven by temptation. The demand of sin is very stringent. It's destructive. It tears us down. But that's why there's a demand for the Savior. And he desires to see your life changed. I give unto them life that they may have it more abundantly, he said. He wants to clear clear our mind and our thoughts. He wants to bless us. The question is, are we a son that chooses to wander away? Or are we a son that chooses to draw nigh to the Lord Jesus Christ? Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can. God, help us to recognize the destructive attributes of sin and temptation that is so promoted in our society. God, help us to recognize the benefits of being a saved, born-again child of God that wants to draw close to you. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. God, if there's one here that does not know you as their own personal Savior, God, I pray that they would see their need to put their trust and faith in you today for salvation. Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar is open. Sin is destructive. That's why there's a Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Why don't you do that today? Why don't you, why don't you even right there in your seat say, God, I recognize that I'm lost. I recognize that I am that wayward son that's walked away from you with no desire to be near God. But God, I'm asking you today to forgive me, to save me. Give your life to Him. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you've got questions and you would like to talk to somebody. You come down and and we'll be glad to have somebody take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure where you'd spend eternity. But if you're not saved and you know that and you've called on the Lord, do me this favor. Don't leave here without letting me know. Say, 
preacher, I, I trusted the Lord. I called on the Lord to save me today. I want to rejoice with you. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to encourage you. As the piano plays, the altar's open.